Grace and peace are yours from God, our Savior, who loves us and calls us his bride. Dear Christian friends, I'm guessing that there are probably some of you who maybe aren't excited to be here this morning, to be sitting in on this message. Um, Maybe it's because, well, you're not really even old enough to date yet, right? So marriage is something that I don't even want to think about. Maybe there are some of you here who would love to be married, but you haven't found the one. Maybe there are some of you here that were married, but you aren't anymore, whether because of of divorce or the death of your spouse. And then maybe there are some of you that are here and don't really want to be here, even though you are married, because your marriage isn't so great right now, and just rather not talk about it, think about it, or deal with it. The thing is, God says this is important. In fact, he says it explicitly clearly. Take a look at these words from Hebrews chapter 13. God says marriage should be honored by all. And then he goes on to talk about, and the marriage bed kept pure, for God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. So marriage is something that God wants everybody to honor. It doesn't matter if you aren't even ready to date yet. This is worth being here and listening to and and understanding because at some point, God willing, maybe you will be ready to be married and you'll be looking forward to marriage. And it's important to have God's design and God's purpose in your mind and in your heart as you look forward to this lifelong commitment. And if you were married and you don't have plans on being married again, well, this is, it's still worth understanding, worth hearing, worth knowing, because I guarantee that you have parents, or kids, or family, or friends that are married. And they need all the Christian encouragement and Christian guidance that they can get. It's sad, though, that, that God says marriage should be honored by all. And you look at the attitudes that the vast majority of the world has, has towards marriage. And it's pretty much the opposite of honor, isn't it? it it's, in fact, what do we tend to do with this thing God says, everybody should hold this, this thing up. Marriage should be this, this thing that we all respect and treasure. And what do we do? We make jokes about it, right? Oh, the old ball and chain's calling again. Hey, did you hear the one about the married guy? <laughs> we, we laugh about it. We, I, I hear people all the time speak about their spouse in the least flattering and most demeaning way. I, I think society in general, probably around the world even, has this overwhelmingly negative attitude towards marriage. There's a whole swath of people that that have no desire ever to be married because what's viewed as this old-fashioned institution, it's viewed as as just locking me down, It's, it's viewed as all negative, all bad, all dishonor. But God has a very different perspective. And God's perspective is our first takeaway this morning. 
you can fill in the blanks if you'd like in your worship folder, that God created marriage as a gift for our closest human connection. God wants our closest connection to be with him, obviously. We heard that last week, and, and there is no doubt about that. He wants to be first in our hearts and in our lives. But God also understood that, that as people, we, we need human connections. And so he, he gave this gift to establish this closest, this most intimate human connection with one person that's different from, from that of, to everybody else. To really understand God's good gift, we need to go back to when he first created that gift, when he first gave that gift back in Genesis 2. Now just to, to clear something up, so Genesis 2 does not take place on day 7 or 8 or 9 or 10 after creation. Genesis 2 is describing the making, the creation of people. That happened Genesis 1 description on day 6 of creation. Genesis 1 then ends, God rested on day 7. But now God wants to explain a, a little bit more in depth what it meant, how he did, why he did, and, and what this looks like, that he made people and he brought them together. And so Genesis 2 is a, a deeper dive, kind of a flashback to that sixth day of creation, to the making of people. So that's where, where we find God in Genesis 2 uh, saying this. He's made Adam. He's made the man. But look what he says. The Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. This is actually a very incredible, important pronouncement from God. Because this is in the context, in the midst of God's perfect creating. And notice what God says. There's something about this that is imperfect. Not because it's sinful or broken or failed, but because it's not complete. There's something that's missing. Now, obviously, the, the perfect and holy and all-knowing God knew this. But he didn't just know it, he said it for our benefit so that we would understand God knew and God did this this way because he understood there was something missing. What's even better is God didn't just tell Adam, hey, there's something missing. Instead, God understood it and he led Adam to that realization Look how he did that, verses 19 and 20. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds of the sky, and he brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, and all the wild animals. Now it's, it's tempting to kind of lose the main point of what's happening here because of the super cool awesomeness of what Adam just got to do, right? He got to name all the animals. And he did so in a way that was in perfect harmony with how God had created each of them uniquely, right? So 
as they're parading by him, there's a giraffe and there's a donkey and there's an elephant and there's a scorpion and there's a goat. And Adam is naming the animals, but he's also learning something. He's also coming to a realization. And it's the realization that we find at the very end of verse 20. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. See, God knew it, but now he's helping Adam to realize it. As, as the animals went by, he realized there's, there's no living creature like him. There, there's no one that has the same physical and emotional capabilities. There's no one certainly that has the same spiritual equal as him. Adam understood that something was missing from his life, and so God, God was leading him to realize there's, there's something incomplete in my life. Do you know how that is? Have you ever collected anything? Whether it's stamps or, or coins or Barbies or Safeway Monopoly pieces. And, and you, you know, when you just have them kind of laying out and you think, boy, look at, all the, look at all that I've got. But then when you get like the Monopoly board from Safeway and you put them on there and you go, ah, but I'm missing just one piece. And if I had just that one, I'd, I'd be a millionaire. I'd have a brand new luxury home, right? Whatever it might be. You know that how valuable that one piece is that's missing because you realize this isn't complete. That's what God was leading Adam to realize, that there was no suitable helper for him. Now, maybe you're not a big fan of that term, of that phrase. And it's possible that, that it could be communicated a little bit clearer, but let's break it down and let's dig into that a little bit. First of all, the word helper is in no way demeaning. And here's how I know that. If you look throughout the Old Testament at the times when that word is used, do you know who it's most often referring to? It's not a slave and it's not a servant. It's referring to God. In fact, we said that, that very thing in our opening psalm this morning, Psalm 121. Where does my help come from? My help, same word, comes from the Lord. Who is my helper? God is. Now the term suitable, maybe we'd like that to be a little bit more, more clear. But it's hard to take from one language and put it into one nice, simple, complete, concise word in English. So let me share with you what it originally says. In the original Hebrew, it says a corresponding helper. Think about it like this. If you ever tried to put together a puzzle, and if you find a piece that doesn't match up, what happens? It doesn't fit. Right? God wasn't trying to put together two pieces that didn't match. God was putting together two pieces that did. And so as Adam looked at all of the creatures that God had made, there was no corresponding, no complementary piece, no counterpart to who he was, who God had made him to be. And think about that for a minute. What do we jokingly say? Man's best friend is a dog. 
Well, God had made dogs before this. In fact, God had made all the animals before this, but not one of them was the physical or emotional counterpart that matched up with the man. And that's why God made the woman. Before we get to that, though, there's one more thing that's important to understand. Not only was, were man and woman made to be these emotional and physical counterparts, they were also, most importantly, made to have a, a deeper connection. And that's our second takeaway. That the spiritual connection to God is what makes all of the intimacy, all of the connections in marriage work. We're going to come back to that point in just a moment, but before we do, let's take a look at how God met this need that he helped Adam understand he had. So take a look, verses 21 and 22. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep, and while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. This is often maybe thought of as the first surgery, but that's a, a gross oversimplification, right? This was no, no doctor with the chance of human error. This was a perfect part of God's creation, just like the rest of it. God created a woman, just like he had created a man, just like he had created all of the other animals, but he did so in this amazing, intimate way. So God caused Adam to fall into a deep sleep. Didn't need the anesthesia. Just had him fall into a deep sleep. And he took a rib out. And he filled in that place with flesh. And our translation, the NIV, says God made a woman out of that rib. And that's accurate. The word picture in Hebrew, though, is that God built the woman. God took this, this rib out of the man and he used that as the foundational building block to craft this perfectly complementary, corresponding person for the man. He made woman. What an amazing thing that God didn't, God didn't use the dust of the ground like he did for Adam. Instead, what did he do? From the materials that he used to make one person, God made two. And then we get to see Adam's reaction. It's kind of interesting, right? There's no like awkward first date kind of thing. Uh, hi, I'm, I'm Adam. Now what? Want to look at the sunset? There was none of that because Adam had this perfect understanding of God's will and God's intent in creating this perfect counterpart for his life. And so he was filled with joy and wonder and amazement at what God had done in filling this space in his life, this piece of his life that had been incomplete just moments before. God had now filled it in. Guys, maybe, maybe the, the best comparison that we can come up with is, is that first moment on your wedding day when you glimpse your bride walking towards you in the, the dress, right? 
and you see her for the first time as your bride and you just kind of takes your breath away, right? Well, look at how Adam said it because he said it better than any man who ever followed him. He said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman for she was taken out of man. Adam realized he now had an equal, a perfect counterpart for life. She was even flesh of his flesh, part a part of him. So for those of you that are married, how often do you think or say, maybe not these exact words, because they might sound a little silly if you said this to your wife or your husband today, right? But how often do you think or say something like this? How often do you praise God for the amazing spouse that he has gifted you with? How often do you say, God, you knew, you knew what I needed in life and I thank you for this person that, that brings out the best in me in so many ways? Do you treasure the gift God has given to you? Do you treasure how you have this opportunity to connect with one person in a way that is different from, from everybody else? You have someone who you are able to be vulnerable with, to share your deepest fears, your, your deepest heartaches and struggles, that you have someone that you can share your, your dreams and your passions with and they'll, they'll support you and encourage you and, and, and shape and refine those with you that they'll rejoice and celebrate at your, at your wins, at your joys, that they'll, they'll lift you up and encourage you at your struggles and your hurts. See, that's what God wants marriage to be, this, this thing where we balance each other out, where we fill in each other's gaps, and most of all, where we lead each other as Christians closer to Christ. So is that how your marriage looks? Is your marriage this, this gift from God? Because notice, this isn't, like, this isn't about feelings, right? This isn't about passion or romantic love. This is about connection. And this deepest, closest, most intimate connection with another human being. So does your spouse com- connect with you emotionally? Because they can be vulnerable with you. They can share their hurts. They can share their fears, their struggles. Or do you use their vulnerabilities against them? And as a result, they emotionally disconnect from you, trying to protect themselves. Do you, are you physically connected to your spouse? Or has physical sexual intimacy become a, a weapon, a, a power play that's used against one another? It's so easy to, to break this closest, most personal connection that God has given because, well, we're sinners. Because, I mean, we all have that disconnection, at least at times, don't we? And it's really easy to say, it's just work stress, 
or it's just the kids, or it's the money, or it's a, a physical challenge, or it's, or it's, or it's, right? All of these different things that we, we tend to and want to and easily blame it on, when really the, the thing that disconnects us from our spouse is also what disconnects us from God. And it's sin. Sin that makes us selfish, right? It makes us want to tell God, you know what, God, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to run my own life until I need you and then maybe I'll come knocking and you better do what I want then. Because we do, don't we? But we also do the same with our spouse, don't we? We want to make our life about, well, about me and not about we. And so with our, our selfishness, it, it causes us to look at our spouse as a a pain in the flesh instead of a part of our flesh. Our selfishness causes us to, to use our spouse's weakness and, and turn it against them instead of, of protecting and covering it. It causes us to expect that our spouse is going to meet every single one of our needs perfectly and that's without us communicating it even once. Our selfishness causes us to expect our spouse to be perfect or expect them to fail because, let's be honest, they're not me. See, there's the problem with our sin, isn't it? It's our, our next takeaway. It's the selfishness of sin it threatens to ruin our closest human connection in marriage. You know what makes it so amazing then? That God, time and time and time again throughout Scripture, He talks about His relationship with people, specifically those with believers. He talks about His relationship with us as that of a bride and groom. Isn't that amazing? Because we, we think about our own marriages and we go, bye how they're really broken. And we look at the way the world thinks about marriage and we say, that's not an honorable thing at all in the world's eyes. And yet God says, let me, let me share you, with you a picture of what it really is supposed to be. Because the Bible overwhelmingly, over and over again, talks about all who believe in Jesus as a bride. And Jesus himself is the groom. But he doesn't look at us in that same selfish way that we tend to view our spouse. Instead, he has a very different look, a very different view on us. In a section that's talking about marriage, about husbands and wives, and about our connection to God in Ephesians chapter 5, specifically talking about husbands loving their wives, look what it says right after that. Just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. See, Jesus didn't love you as his bride selfishly. He loved you selflessly. He loved you selflessly by taking all of your failures all of your mistakes, and instead of pointing them out and saying, God the Father, you should send them away because of this, he took them all on himself and died for them. 
Jesus loved you selflessly to cover over all of your failures, all of your foibles, all of your foolish things so that when God the Father looks at you, do you see what he sees? Not a stain, not a wrinkle, not a, a single blemish because you are made perfect in Christ. Jesus loved you selflessly so that someday he will take you as his bride into his eternal home. That's what our God has done for us. And look what that means in our fourth takeaway. That because Jesus loves me selflessly, I can be connected to another imperfect human being in a most intimate and selfless way. I said before I was going to come back to our second takeaway. And here it is. Because our selfishness threatens to ruin this closest connection that we have with another human being, that, that emotional intimacy, the physical intimacy. But our Savior gives us spiritual intimacy with Him. And that's what makes the engine of marriage go. That's what makes this marriage thing work. That so, so for all of the times when I'm when my spouse has been selfish, when I have been selfish, the answer isn't to try to, to get back at them. The answer is to go to Jesus who has loved you and covered you and washed you and to know that I am forgiven and to know that I can then forgive my spouse when they have been selfish to me. Instead of keeping the cycle of selfishness going, of hurt and blame and, and anger and regret, that I can forgive. It means that because of Jesus done for me, that I, I, I'm empowered, right? He lives in me and I, I can love my spouse selflessly. I can fight the temptation to make it about me and make it about we, about us, together. It means that I can treasure my spouse because they are a child of God whom he loved enough to pay for with his own life. And that he loved enough to put in my life to make my life complete. Because that was God's doing, right? We heard Jesus say that in our gospel lesson today, what God has joined together, right? See, and it's important to understand that, that what God created, what God established in that first one individual marriage in the Garden of Eden, he wanted to be the pattern, the design, the purpose for every marriage. And we see that in the last verse of our text, verse 24, Adam got done praising God, and now look what God says. That's why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. This verse could be a whole sermon. It could be a whole sermon series, let's just be honest, about God's purpose, about God's design, God's plan for marriage. He's clear that he, he designed this as one man and one woman for life. But our world, our sinful world and our sinful nature, well, doesn't really like God's design for much of anything, does it? And so it wants to twist and warp and turn and ruin God's design and make it what we want it to be. 
But there's one point that I think comes out of this that, that's really applicable and ties in with our message today. And, and I, I hope that you keep this in mind. See, when God talks about, about how he brings people together in this closeness of marriage, right? He, he says, you're going to leave this other family that you grew up with and you're going to start your own. You're going to have this nuclear family, this new thing. And he uses a term, right? If you grew up with the King James, it was cleave. Doesn't make a whole lot of sense in today's society, in today's English. But we find it here as that, that he's united to his wife. Now I'm going to go back to the original Hebrew one more time because it's significant. That word is the same root word for weld. Who in here has ever done any welding in their life? Know anything about welding? So when you weld, you are joining two pieces of metal together. And when you weld something together, do you know where the strongest point is? It's where they're joined. It's at the connection. And God wants you, dear Christian, to understand what he's saying. When you are united to someone in marriage, that besides your connection to God, that this point in your life Your spouse doesn't drag you down. They don't hold you back. They aren't a a drain on you. Well, it's our, our last takeaway this morning. That besides my connection to God, my connection to in marriage is where I am the strongest. That's an amazing gift, isn't it? It's not easy. It's not simple. But that's where I am the strongest. And this is important. It's important for everybody in here because whether you are married today or not, whether you plan to be married at some point in life or not, God wants you to honor his gift. And so to do that, we need to know it. We need to trust it. We need to live this gift that he's given in marriage. And so I pray that you today would leave here knowing that you are the bride of Christ knowing that he views you in this amazing way that he has washed you and made you holy and pure. And I pray then with that in your heart that you would love your spouse the same way. That you would look at your spouse selflessly. And that you would then show this gift from God, this gift of marriage to the rest of the world for all that God intended it to be. This beautiful and amazing connection to another person. Because it's a blessing and a gift from God. Amen. May the peace of our God, which goes beyond our understanding, guard your hearts and your minds through faith in Christ Jesus. Amen.